Welcome to the PRI Review, brought to you by the Population Research Institute. I'm your host, Christopher Manning. CNN Cable News Network suddenly reports the COVID truth after spewing anti-Trump propaganda. PRI President Stephen Moser reports. CNN has just breathlessly announced that it has uncovered a vast trove of leaked documents showing China underreported COVID-19 numbers and deliberately covered up the seriousness of the epidemic. The only trouble with CNN's blockbuster is that it is almost a year old. The rest of the world has known since February or so that China's communist leaders hid the epidemic from the world for as long as they could. After the outbreak began late last year in the city of Wuhan, they silenced their own doctors and blocked visits from outside medical investigators. They lied about the virus to the WHO and then got the WHO to lie for them. They allowed travelers from China to spread the virus to almost 180 countries, and at the same time, they were putting tens of millions of their own people into quarantine. Now, Beijing did all this while reporting such ridiculously low numbers of cases and deaths that most credible news organizations were already skeptical. Real journalists, like those who work at our government-funded Radio Free Asia, started digging. RFA reported at the end of March that the death toll in Wuhan was many times higher than the 2,500 or so that Beijing was claiming at the time. Bodies piled up in the city's crematoria and truckloads of funeral urns arrived for the ashes of the deceased. CNN, on the other hand, swallowed Beijing's narrative whole and soon began regurgitating his propaganda in the same fashion. On April 15, 2020, for example, CNN reported that not a single serving member of the country's military has been infected. America, however, wasn't doing so well. And I quote, The reported absence of cases among China's armed forces comes despite the fact that thousands of military personnel were sent to Wuhan to assist in frontline medical efforts. It also comes in sharp contrast to the United States, which has seen an uptick in cases in recent weeks, end quote. And what was CNN's source for its report that China's military was handling the coronavirus much better than America's armed forces? Why, the website of the People's Liberation Army of Communist China, which is, of course, no fan of the U.S. military. Over the past year, CNN has lifted a lot of its coronavirus stories directly from Beijing's propaganda broadsheets, but my all-time favorite, says Mr. Mosher, is this gem from April 7, 2020. And I quote here, China reported no new novel coronavirus deaths or locally transmitted cases yesterday, according to the country's National Health Commission. There were 32 new cases, all of them imported from abroad, end quote. We'll leave aside the predictable effort to shift the blame for the epidemic onto foreigners. They are always a convenient whipping boy for the xenophobic CCP. Just consider the claim of no new cases 
in a country the size of China and ask yourself this. If that were true, why were the 11 million inhabitants of Wuhan, along with millions elsewhere in China, still under lockdown? It's absurd on the face of it. Could it be that the woke elites at CNN were more than happy to report virtually verbatim the most outrageous claims of the CCP simply in order to make the United States and President Trump's handling of the epidemic look bad by comparison? And now that the election is over, have they perhaps decided that it's time to stop serving as the unofficial propaganda arm of the CCP, at least where the coronavirus is concerned, lest they make the next president look bad? As for me, says Mr. Moser, I'll stay glued to CNN waiting with bated breath for their next exclusive. Maybe by next year, CNN will discover that the China virus came from China. Now that would be news. Next up, some history. With tyrants, some things never change. The election hasn't been decided yet, but the current state of uncertainty gives us time to indulge in some ruminations of the past. Ever since Donald Trump was elected in 2016, the left has hectored him endlessly. One of their favorite taunts has been, will he allow a peaceful transition when he is defeated in 2020, or will we have to send in the military to haul him out? Of course, the Ministry of Truth has never accepted the fact that he won in the first place. So it's no surprise that the left wants to shove Trump out to the curb before the election is decided. After all, they're only being consistent. They've tried to destroy his presidency along with tens of millions of, of Americans who support him. They want to destroy us, too, and they've been doing it for four years. But right now, we don't know how the current constitutional process will play out. In fact, we won't know until at least December 14th, when the Electoral College members of each state cast their votes to elect the president or fail to do so. So we find ourselves in a moment of reflection, having celebrated, I hope, a blessed Thanksgiving and looking forward to a beautiful Christmas. In the meantime, a fortnight of uncertainty. Well, let's consider one of our many possible futures. In this episode, let's assume that Catholic Joe Biden is sworn in as president on January 20th, 2021. Meanwhile, mountains of evidence have come to light in December and early January, proving beyond any doubt that the election was stolen. Now, the establishment elites have hated Trump passionately for four years. In light of these irrefutable revelations, will their hatred finally give way to compassion? Will they join an outraged public in a strident demand that justice be done? Well, for our answer, we turn to precedent, and it is not heartwarming. The year is 1960. The most hated man in establishment America is Richard Milhouse Nixon. He has earned this status because of a mortal sin he committed long before. As a member of Congress from California in the early 50s, he had played a key role in exposing the communist menace in our country, the enemy within, it's been called. Now, Nixon's grit and determination has helped the world learn about the Soviet Union's startling success 
in infesting the Roosevelt-Truman presidential administrations with communist spies. Now, in 1960, the already hated Nixon is running against the Democrat ticket of John F. Kennedy of Massachusetts and Lyndon B. Johnson of Texas. When the votes are counted on election night, the Kennedy-Johnson ticket has won with 303 electoral votes. However, massive fraud was alleged to have occurred in Illinois, where Chicago Mayor Richard Daley had the ultimate say in the vote count, and Texas, where landslide Linden had been famous for years for insisting that every tombstone in the cemetery be given its equal right to vote, and reversing the electoral votes of those two states alone would give Nixon the victory. Well, outrage abounded, and Republicans in several states mounted objections. This is history. They demanded investigations. But Nixon ignored them. Three days after the election, he conceded. So what did the establishment do then? Did the elites hail Nixon's patriotism, his selfless refusal to throw the election and the country into turmoil? Not quite. Instead, they hounded Nixon mercilessly and hailed the dawn of the Kennedy myth of Camelot. In fact, their continuing campaign of contemptuous vituperation lasted through 1962 when they helped Pat Brown defeat Nixon in California's gubernatorial election. The day after that California loss, Nixon made no bones about the media's hatred. It was his last press conference, he said, and I quote, you won't have Nixon to kick around anymore, end quote. Well, in fact, they're still kicking him around, but that's another story. Let's observe here that in 1960, Nixon haters didn't change their tune in the face of simple civic virtue, nor were they interested in the possibility of heinous political heists. After all, they were happy that their guy had won. By the way, so were our Catholic bishops. Back to January 2021. In light of our scenarios, bomb-proof evidence, is it likely, or not so likely, that the haters, the Trump haters, will come to their senses and humbly acknowledge that Trump had really won in November? Extra credit question. How about the bishops? Like their predecessors 60 years ago, today's leftists hate Trump and his supporters and they are going to continue hating us all, no matter how honestly we deal with the upcoming tumult that is sure to follow as more revelations about the crimes of Hunter Biden and his payoffs to his father are revealed. Well, moving right along, let's talk about revolution and its rewards. Here's a primer on the basic level. We're looking at a rapidly changing scene, and we see, again, some similarities with times past. Now, Edmund Burke was an Englishman and a contemporary of the French Revolution in the late 18th century. Alexis de Tocqueville was in the next generation, a Frenchman who looked back on the revolution with an analytical perception that was unique. Now, 
the preamble to revolution in both of their analyses. The preamble to revolution percolates for a long while. It doesn't happen overnight, but suddenly the spark, what Lenin called the iskra, ignites the carefully laid kindling. Then it all bursts into flame and all hell breaks loose. Now consider the revolutions of the 20th century. Chaos, terrorism played an indispensable role. Tsar Nicholas II abdicated his throne in March 1917 and the Russian Empire collapsed. Vladimir Lenin quickly moved in using his terrorist shock troops, the Cheka, to intimidate his rivals and the public while they seized power. The purpose of terrorism is to terrorize, Lenin famously observed, because it works. The Sturmabteilung, the brown shirts, performed the same role in the 1920s as Hitler consolidated his power. In 1922, Mussolini's di the black shirts, played a similar role. Now, perhaps because Lenin, Hitler, and Mussolini had all been in prison early in their careers, their shock troops naturally comprised many criminals in their ranks. And by the way, it's no surprise that this is also true of Antifa's terrorists today. Now, in the past year here in America, Marxist Black Lives Matter agitprop plays the respectable role while Antifa wreaks chaos in cities throughout the country. Notably, the defeat of Russia, Germany, and Italy in the Great War gave the terrorist groups the disorder and discord necessary to be viable. Today's America hasn't lost a war, but many of its more rancid politicians, and a significant number to be sure, have treated our citizens like a defeated population, and the tyrants among them are locking us down like a bunch of losers who can't even look at one another through our neighborhood windows, parks, streets, stores, and, of course, churches. Disoriented, discouraged, and dismayed by power-lusting virus manipulators, millions of Americans are bereft of any means of response, much less assistance to the assault on our freedoms. The fabric of our sense of community has been frayed to the sh shredding point. In many cases, citizens are not free from the commissar's jackboot, even in our own homes. Now, what do we know about the wannabe tyrants? They are more afraid of each other than they are of us. Now, that's a fact. History proves irrefutable precedent. Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Castro, Kim, once they attained total power, their first targets were not the people, but the competition. The conclusions that Thucydides reaches about human nature from his analysis of the revolted Corsera are not very positive. He begins by saying that death thus raged in every shape, and as usually happens at such times, there was no length to which violence did not go. End quote. And that was in 427 B.C. If America's tyrants do consolidate their power, and we can't rule out that prospect, all the establishment elites will be expecting a reward for their undying support for the new leader. Ha! Instead, they will be the new enemy. Tyrants have no need of the pirouetting media, the academic, cultural, or business big shots who help them gain power. Not anymore! 
and no longer needed they will be tossed into the dustbin of history while the real criminals take over. The revolution always devours its own. This is the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at POP.org. We'll be right back. Here's some bad news. The abortion lobby is telling the federal government to use cell lines from aborted babies and Wuhan virus vaccine research. They're using fear as a cover to push their pro-abortion agenda, as usual. This time, it's the Wuhan virus. Remember how Democrat governors designated abortion mills as essential and Holy Mass was unessential and prohibited? Well, now there's more. The White House says we're making progress in research for a vaccine, and the pro-abortion left can't resist. Wow, let's use this crisis to push abortion. That's right. The death lobby is trying to piggyback onto this crisis with its all-too-familiar agenda. Preventing coronaviruses is hard. Over the years, it's been hard to develop effective vaccines at all. That's why today the pro-aborts want the government to use cells from aborted babies. Planned Parenthood has been accused of selling baby body parts for medical research already. Everybody knows that. After all, aborted babies are a goldmine for Planned Parenthood. These precious organs, down to the cells themselves, can bring a high price on the market. But PRI knows the truth. Babies are killed to get those cells, and we are demanding that the U.S. government stop using them. Not for vaccines, not for treatments, not at all. Abortion has already been pandemic in this country for years. Let's not try to use one pandemic to solve another one. Look, let's face it. American taxpayers shouldn't be forced to pay for research involving those cells at all. Now, here's the bad news. Unfortunately, many prospective Wuhan virus vaccine candidates use cell lines that came from babies who were aborted in the 1960s and 70s. Let's be clear. Using cell lines harvested from aborted babies is the definition of unethical. It shocks the moral conscience. It encourages pharmaceutical companies to continue developing new drugs, vaccines, and therapeutics with cell lines derived from abortion. Unfortunately, some of that very research is being funded by the U.S. government, including through grants awarded by the National Institutes of Health, the NIH. Now, before it's too late, it's time to say no. No to any research that uses cells taken from aborted babies. PRI is leading the way. We need you to join us. You can really make a difference. But how can we get a vaccine then? Fortunately, there are many promising alternatives. Some have been used for decades in the development of vaccines, and they have a proven track record of success. And that's not all. There are newer technologies that may have great potential. Many potential vaccines using ethical alternatives are already showing encouraging results, and some are already slated to begin clinical testing. Now's the time to act, and here's how. Write the White House right now, today, to make your voice heard. Just go to our website at 
pop.org. That's P-O-P dot org. O-R-G. You'll see the banner. Sign the petition. Click there and sign up now. It takes less than a minute. And ask President Trump, Mr. President, please tell federal agencies to stop funding research projects that use cells if they are derived from aborted babies. That's it. It's that easy. Once again, go to pop.org. On top of the homepage, click where it says sign the petition. In the comment box, be sure to mention the virus vaccine specifically. Decisions on that research are being made right now, so don't delay. Go to pop.org and make your voice heard today. Children are prime targets of the pandemonium panic. A June survey by the Guttmacher Institute, the research arm of Planned Parenthood, found that more than 40% of women surveyed changed their plans of when to have children or how many to have because of the pandemic. One-third of women, 34%, planned to get pregnant later or to have fewer children, end quote. Now, amidst all the power plays using the pandemic panic as their template, the war on community, family, children qualifies as the most grotesque. And the prospect of a possible Biden administration has them salivating all the more. Had the China virus not been dumped on the United States this year, Donald Trump would have won re-election with ease. His success lay not only in the economy, but in the culture, and especially there in his pro-life advocacy and the policies that advocacy produced. Joe Biden would reverse all of it. Recognizing that abortion is the driving force that unites every Democrat faction, he has promised to write Roe v. Wade into law, undoubtedly going further to proclaim loud and clear a potential death warrant for any and all unborn. Moreover, Biden would force the taxpayer to pay for all abortions here at home and millions more abroad. He would strike down Trump's expanded Mexico City policy. Now that's the one that keeps tens of millions in U.S. taxpayer funds from paying for murdering third world unborn children. Of course, those are primarily what Margaret Sanger called the blacks and browns, echoed by Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, may she rest in peace, what she called populations that we don't want to have too many of. While Donald Trump's America First agenda has defended our independence from globalist intrusions, Biden would warmly welcome the one-worlders back into the White House. Americans would once again be funding uh, the international deep state at the United Nations, beginning immediately with strong support of its population control programs. He would embrace the World Health Organization, a totally owned subsidiary of the Chinese Communist Party. U.S. embassies worldwide would once again impose the Hill Obama, priorities for abortion, 
and population control as essential ingredients of U.S. aid programs that were once designed to help the poor rather than to exterminate them. Archbishop Cyprian Kizito Luanga of Kampala, Uganda, has been out front in opposing the globalist population control agenda, and that's why you've never heard of him. But look, these outfits have a lot of money, and a Biden administration would give them millions more. Now, Ugandan Archbishop Luanga and many of his African colleagues in the Episcopacy have warned women about the dangers of the abortifacients that the controllers are peddling as well as the moral devastation that contraception would inflict on the family. Will Catholic Joe Biden pay them any mind? Well, on to more corruption and its consequences. And this is a really basic uh, primeval experience that I had some 20 years ago. I was seated on a transatlantic flight next to a woman who was heading for Berlin. She was a researcher for Transparency International. Now, that's a nonprofit devoted to examining the causes of corruption and the means of ending it in countries and cultures all over the world. Well, at the time, I was gathering supporters in the international community for an effort to expand and update the century-old international treaties prohibiting the international trafficking of obscene materials known today as hardcore porn. It was a long flight, and after trading war stories and some vignettes, my seatmate and I made a humorous bet. Whose cause would win first? Would pornography or corruption be eradicated first? Well, since then, thanks to the Internet, pornography has become so ubiquitous that it's not even called pornography anymore. In the same vein, we might say that corruption also continues to be so common that it is hardly called corruption anymore. It's just business as usual, or politics as usual, even life as usual. Now, this is, this is critical. It's similar to what we've addressed about hypocrisy. Now, two centuries ago, La Rochefoucauld, a Frenchman, said that hypocrisy was the bow that vice paid to virtue. So the hypocrite, while indulging in evil, acknowledges the good, the true, the beautiful, even as he indulges in their opposites. He still acknowledges uh, that he is wrong, but he indulges in the evil anyway. Not today. No, the evildoers embrace a dialectic that abolishes the very notion of good, true, and beautiful altogether, and they renounce reality and the good altogether. Soon, corruption, hypocrisy, even virtue will survive only as empty, empty vessels, devoid of content, words that are used to fool people and to gain power, like Humpty Dumpty said, because there's no standard by which to judge these actions. Folks can fill these empty containers with any swill they please because they feel good using old words to disguise new vices. And they get away with it. After all, who am I to judge? It's such a common practice that a new term has been introduced 
to describe it. It's called virtue signaling. That's the practice of uttering popular platitudes in order to gain applause while slyly or grossly demeaning those who disagree with you. We can't blame Mr. Justice Kennedy for all this. He merely spelled out in dialectical gibberish the notion that had been eroding our moral sense for a generation and more. At the heart of liberty, the mystery passage goes, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of human life. Planned Parenthood v. Casey, 1992. Well, with that kind of liberty, one can define one's own concept of virtue without limits. Instead of bowing to universal truths, one can simply strut onto the stage and take a bow for being so original, so superior, so liberated from the chains uh, that virtue in the old days had imposed on his passions, his appetites, and his ego. Now, for the autonomous man, hypocrisy and virtue have become indistinguishable. And so, too, the man for whom corruption has become a way of life. He can't escape Aristotle's philosophical anthropology, but he can defy the philosopher and embrace bestiality like a wild animal and habituate his callous conscience to celebrate his moral depravity as an ethical success. In the current post-election tumult, we are witnessing the raw sinews of corruption emerge from the back room to manipulate the body politic for its own ends, operating for years under the disguise of the mainstream media and social media and similar stalwarts of the culture, corruption now roars like Aristotle's beast to finish off what is left of our civic community and our common culture, infecting it from without as well as from within. This is PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. We'll be right back. gotten your free ebook yet from the Population Research Institute? It's called Pandemonium. Pandemonium is an overview from several countries of how governments and international organizations, legal outfits, and of course Communist China have taken advantage of the virus to take control over you and your neighbor and your cities and your institutions and your country. Be sure to get this free download from the Population Research Institute right now at pop.org. Just click through to our website at pop.org, and right at the top, you will see a free offer for the download of this ebook in PDF form, which will blow your mind because it has various experts in various countries taking stock of what their governments and their organizations and cultural institutions have done to take advantage of you by taking advantage of the virus. Be sure to get your free copy now. Go to pop.org and download it today. Pandemonium. And you'll be glad you did.
talk about words. Let's talk about definitions. The Latin root of corruption, corrumpere, means to seduce, to bribe, or to break, to destroy. Several meanings, all of which are hang together very nicely. And on reflection, that's often exactly the way it happens. The tempting opportunity to profit from an evil act is first presented and then secured with a payoff. This breaks down the wall that virtuous habit has built and then destroys the character within. Seduce, bribe, break, destroy. Corumpere. Consider abortion. The temptation is sex without consequences. The bribe is public support, even encouragement from the pro-choice crowd. The natural bond between mother and child is broken if it ever existed, and the child is destroyed. Seduce, bribe, break, destroy. Corumpere. Consider language. Confucius emphasizes the importance of restoring the proper meaning of words. A word has no meaning if it does not firmly root itself in reality, a reality that is the same for all of us. Many who rebel against reality could easily make up new words to reflect their own version, but that's hard work. Why bother when there are plenty of old words that have accrued a traditional authority that makes them persuasive in themselves? The payoff is generous at first, but the protection of the true is broken and the truth is then destroyed. Thus, Big Brother's propaganda apparatus called the Ministry of Truth, and his torture chamber is the Ministry of Love, and the Newspeak Dictionary's 11th edition will destroy most of language altogether, so that no words will be left in the entire language to describe tyranny, evil, or even corruption. Virginia's own Patrick Henry once observed that a vitiated state of morals, a corrupted public conscience, is incompatible with freedom. But Justice Kennedy literally invites the corruption of the public conscience, doesn't he? He guarantees to each individual the right to define reality for himself. Man becomes autonomous like Rousseau's noble savage or Karl Marx's truly socialist man. The Promethean temptation breaks the bond of civic virtue that glues the individual to society. Justice Kennedy confers on each of us the right, if not the power, to be our own private leviathan. Public virtue cannot exist in a nation without private virtue, wrote John Adams. But Justice Kennedy asks, who am I to judge what virtue is? Fortunately, the prevailing public virtue of two centuries ago inoculated our society with salutary civic habits that persist to our own day. But we have no common language with which to discuss them or to defend them. Our common understanding of Confucius's proper meaning of words has been broken into tiny, egoistic shards. And with that, our liberties face the danger of being a victim of the final stage of corruption, destruction. Well, that has consequences, temporal consequences and eternal ones. As our Berlin-bound researcher attested, corruption acknowledges no borders. It is an equal opportunity destroyer. 
as if we didn't have enough of our own, we're allowing millions of foreigners to enter our country, some immigrants, some illegal, virtually all of whom come from cultures and countries more corrupt than our own. As Thomas Sowell puts it, an immigrant brings his home culture with him. Immigrants from a corrupt culture will naturally gravitate to the most corrupt party in their new country, as they do in our own country, which is why the left, the corruptos of our country, want more of them, because they know that they will gravitate towards their power centers. Moreover, as we've learned from the Biden family scandal, there's a corollary. A foreign country can corrupt you without leaving home. First the seduction, then the bribe, breaking the bond of civic virtue, and ultimately destroying the individual, his family, and very possibly his country. And you watch the Joe Biden scandal explode early in the new year. Kamala Harris is going to watch with intent interest. A final thought. We are surrounded by corruption, yet we know that countless corruptos, domestic and foreign, will escape justice here on earth. The bitterness abides, and it is justified. For their whole lives they will prosper while the innocent suffer. Unjust! Yes, but for how long? How long? Fifty years? Even a hundred? No matter. God is justice personified, and eternity is forever. We must repent and pray. You've been listening to the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. Thanks for listening. Music.